everyone. Welcome to Poetry Says, episode 43. I'm Alice, and this week I had so much fun doing my recording because I got to sit here in my little office with my beautiful sister-in-law, who is an all-around champ and also a really, really amazing teacher. And I asked her about her teaching practice in terms of how she teaches poetry to kids. It's pretty different now to how it was back in my day. And she talks a little bit about some of the challenges of dealing with things like the legacy of Australian bush poetry and how you bring that in or whether you bring that in. And she talks about what connects with kids today, what connects with her particular school community and how she introduces the idea of teaching poetry to the other teachers that she works with many of whom are more than a little scared of the idea. After we finished recording, Terry was telling me that she would love to hear from you guys. I know I have a couple of teachers who are regular listeners. So if anyone out there has any ideas of resources or anything that would help in introducing poetry further into the classroom, definitely let me know. I'll pass that on. We can share it around and we can keep the conversation going. my lovely sister-in-law Terry (laughs) (laughs) and uh, we're going to talk about poetry and teaching poetry in schools Mm -hmm. because I am really excited to talk to you about this because I feel like a lot of people I don't know if you'd agree with this but I feel like Mm. a lot of people have a lot of opinions about teachers and not many people ask (laughs) teachers for their opinion yeah (laughs) I wonder how many people have an opinion about poetry and teaching too I think that would be quite interesting well I think I think a lot of poets do it I think a lot of people who say I don't get poetry Mm. are basing that attitude on some experiences that they had maybe in the late 80s or like a long time ago (laughs) (laughs) Um, that wasn't that great and there's a lot of different reasons for that Mm. that we'll probably get into like the curriculum the teacher that student what was happening in that classroom at that time Um, yeah Mm. but I guess yeah I'm just interested to talk to a real life teacher yeah so tell us about your experience as a teacher thus far well so I'm definitely going to um talk like from a personal point of view and not try to represent every teacher because that that wouldn't um be professional and it wouldn't be particularly ethical either so I've been teaching for I think this is my ninth year now so I'm still relatively inexperienced in that sense um so I um originally went into teaching doing a a diploma of education so I only had to study for two years um, after I did my first degree and um, I moved from the ACT system Um, well actually my experience of school was in New South Wales and then I studied to be a teacher in the ACT and I studied to be a teacher in Victoria and now teach in Victoria so it's quite interesting because there's three different education systems which are completely different Mm. um, which is quite fascinating so um I started I'm primary school trained so I'm allowed to teach prep all the way up to grade eight Mm -hmm. um and most of my experience has been in primary schools so teaching grade probably grade three four five six but now I actually teach year sevens and I have for the last couple of years so um 
that's quite an exciting kind of um, continuum of learning that I've been able to see, which is quite cool. And I think it's mm. got given me a bit of an insight into um, the two different school systems, so the, the primary model and the secondary model, and my current school is a Peter 12 school. So that's a very exciting opportunity to kind of see how it all progresses and to work with professionals that are specialists in their field. I'm not a specialist, I'm a generalist. Mm -hmm. So I know a lot about a lot of things, but potentially don't have deep kind of rooted knowledge in specific areas, like say that some of the year 12 teachers would have and things like that. Right. And so you've taught everything from like, I know you've done maths. Yeah. So maths, English, PE, um, you know, languages when, when we didn't have a language teacher, you know, or, or the cultural side of Mandarin. Um, yeah, everything, history, geography, science. Mm. Um, yeah. So you have to be able to turn your hand to whatever needs to be taught that day. Yeah. And I think it's where we start something I'm very passionate about as an educator is kind of refocusing, you know, conversations about teachers and how teachers perceive themselves less as deliverers of content but as like there's an art form to teaching so the art of teaching it doesn't matter what my content is I can go and research that I can find resources I can talk to professionals I can find support on the internet I can you know find all these wonderful ways um, to access the content it's about how I then let the kids access it that's the, like the real challenge well and the real art form this in is itself. Like like serious dead poets society stuff already. <laughs> I love that movie. Captain, my captain. <laughs> this is great. So um, I think that's something that yeah. I work on now um, as well as my teaching portfolio. I'm a curriculum leader, so I'm a leading teacher in a school. Right. So I work underneath the assistant principal to deliver like large projects and mm-hmm. analyze student data and work out why maybe kids aren't learning at the rate we'd like or they've got lower growth or they've got higher growth than the state and what we're doing and where to put all our money Mm. kind of thing so a lot of that is around I I have to be able to interact with teachers that teach all different subjects but the common language of teaching doesn't change Mm. doesn't matter what you're teaching it's how you're teaching it that's kind of what we focus on so when you teach English Mm -hmm. um what are some of the things that you find students resist? Hmm, that is a good question. I think um, I don't know whether they <clears throat> resist it or potentially find it very challenging. So, English is, I, I think probably one of the more challenging subjects that kids encounter and it should be because it's an incredibly complex um skill to 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 communicate and receive in a language but um it's got so many elements to it so there's you know the the basic spelling and grammar kind of components then there's the um handwriting um, then there's, um, you know, the, the actual text types that they're expected to read and understand, but then also produce as well. So kids, have, kids come in with a really strong idea of like, oh, I'm really good at reading, but I suck at grammar potentially, or mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a really good writer, but I, um, I don't ever 
check my spelling. So I've got great ideas, but I don't ever check my spelling. So I don't, I've never met a kid that's just like, I hate English. Um, I'm sure they exist. Mm. Um, but they've got very um, definite views about sections of English that they don't like or, or mm. believe that they're not good at. Yeah. I still remember, like, my first spelling test that I didn't get, like, 10 out of 10. <laughs> Devastation. Oh, my God. You put so much, like, pride in being able to spell. Yeah. And then, yeah, it just gets a little bit too hard. Yeah, and I think, yeah. um, like, we're doing regular spelling tests with, um, you know, it is, it is a core skill. Like, and our kids are, our kids are shocking spellers. Um for, for a number of reasons, everyone says straight away, oh, it's because of their access to technology and whatever. And I'm like, no, I think just we're just generally a bit lazier these days and we can just find stuff out so much easier so we don't have to think and, and mm. recall as much. But we also have in, in all the schools I've worked in a really multicultural community where a lot of our children don't go home and interact with written English. Yep. Um, and sometimes even with spoken English. So we still do regular spelling tests. Mm-hmm. But um, I found, like, to try to stop that 10 out of 10 kind of business, Yeah. Um, we have, you know, really flexible spelling groups so that if you do get, you know, within a certain grade, three consecutive tests in a row, then you can move up to a more challenging group. But then if you find that too challenging and your results are indicating that either you're not practising or you're not retaining it you drop back down so it's kind of flexible so you know that it's again spelling's a continuum okay yeah that's and the top the top group if you like for want of a better word the independent spellers have to actually select their own words because it's not appropriate for me to know yeah like at some point they're going to need to know the words that they want to know and their voices writers are going to use so i'm not going to give them a whole bunch of words because they might Mm. be my words that i would use that's quite challenging for them as well find out all the words that have a-n-c-e or something in it and they have to try to find ones that they would actually be able to use as well not just go to a dictionary and yeah 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 pick out weird ones yeah yeah um and so do you remember the first time you stood in front of a class and said okay we're going to look at a poem today um yeah i do yeah so i didn't i didn't i didn't say that This not because that is not a good idea. <laughs> I, that is a good idea. No, because um, you want to create curiosity and you want to create interest. So you never um, – I actually gave them a piece of text, which was a poem. I, I, I can't even think what it would have been. might have been with my five sixes and it might have been um, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings or something like that. I had quite an advanced five six and it was a very multicultural class, so we talked a lot about – race and racism and tolerance and Mm. you know that was just part of the culture of the school Mm. but you know we did a lot of work around what is this um and it might not have even been that because there is a bit of rhyme in in that poem but it might have been something that didn't rhyme because straight away when when kids identify something as a poem it's because it rhymes rhymes, which you know it makes sense from the earliest stages we're encouraging kids to rhyme thing, you know, make rhymes and to listen to rhymes and all the like Incy Wincy Spider, all the songs we, we play to like young children yeah. are to build oral language and rhymes the best way to do that. But um, yeah, so we did a lot of exploring about, well, what type of text is it? And then justify your opinion. 
So that also let me know, well, what do they perceive a poem to be? So, oh, it has rhyme in it. It doesn't look like it's written in sentences, for example. Like it's not, you know, a paragraph format and things like that. Um, It's got powerful images. I mean, they didn't come up with that to begin with. That was down the track, but it Mm. kind of, you know, we, they kind of annotated it Mm. and had to justify why they thought it was a poem or why they thought it was a speech or why they, you Mm. know, whatever. And you didn't feel, or did you feel in that lesson or during that unit that some of the kids were really enjoying it while some of the others were like, I I don't get this. This is scary and hard and yeah um yes and no I think every time probably the times that I've introduced it I have been surprised that they haven't been exposed to it before so even my year sevens currently I mean now that I'm in this more secondary model each um term is a different unit which is not really how we work in primary we're a lot more flexible and we might do more theme based learning and so you can throw poems into everything but we've got a whole unit on poetry, which is term four this year. And I was surprised last year that they really had never been exposed to poetry. I'm sure they'd seen a few poems and whatever. But um, so it wasn't that they were kind of like, oh, this this is awful or I don't get it. They literally, like it was really new to them. So mm. they were really quite bamboozled, I guess. But I would hope you know, if you follow kind of like an effective gradual release model of teaching, you you spark their interest, you get them involved, you choose you choose stuff that's immediately the content's interesting to them. Yeah. You know, like so I I knew like we you know, gotta work with a lot of Pacific Islanders, you knew that um anything to do with like identity about the Pacific Islands or something that was like lyrics is a great way to get kids into poetry, like particularly year sevens you know, if they're a bit, oh, I'm not really sure, I hate English, using some some poetry, some rap, yeah. like um, kind of like lyrics and, and, and rap was a really good way to get them in. So they were really kind of excited about the prospect mm. to start with. Um, yeah. I mean, look, they could be tricking me and just be giving me lip service and be like, oh, this is great. This is our I doubt it. <laughs> I don't feel like a 13-year-old boy is going to bother to give you lip service, yeah. is he? But I'm really interested. What rap song did you use? Oh God, um, Gangsters Paradise. Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> I Perfect. think. Um, I mean, it was really challenging because I'm quite old school in a lot of senses about um, my exposure to poetry. Is not a lot of modern poetry. Probably only through you have I been exposed to more modern contemporary styles. Mm. But um, I had to really go and research lyrics. Um, because I don't listen to a lot of that kind of music either. Um, I listen to like a lot of soul music and stuff like that. I had to check the content because um, it's so important that I don't expose them to, you know, guns and violence and sex and and objectifying women and so many songs actually that Mm. they wanted to, oh, can we we explore this one? I'd actually have to say that's not appropriate for a classroom. I said, if you listen to that outside, that's fine, but Mm. I can't, I can't use that as a platform to teach poetry no but i found actually because um i used a lot of like like respect by aretha franklin and because a lot of my boys particularly the islander boys are really soulful singers so they were all there like you know and like 
my heart will go on. They loved that. It was like three boys that just would sit there doing their work, but would sing it while they were doing their work. So again, it was just so important that I had a bank of like 50 poems. They weren't all lyrics because I don't think that, um, you know, I'm not saying Beyonce is like an amazing poet, um, but it was a good way in. It was like a soft way in to then bring out something like, um, uh, you know, um, uh, what's the poem that I said before? Um, um, I want to say to kill why, a mockingbird, but what is the cage? Yeah, why you know, yeah, yeah. So, um, kind of things that are a little bit deeper, um, yeah. and potentially more challenging, and had more metaphors in them. Um, and we did some to introduce Australian poetry as well, which I feel quite strongly about. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not talking like Benjo Patterson, kind of the long saga poems, yeah. because they're not. They're not, it's awful. My grandfather would kill me. He's a ex-principal in rural New South Wales, but they're not relevant anymore in a lot of ways, I feel, and he would disagree and say that we need to keep them relevant. But to my kids that have only been in the country for a year and have only ever lived in an urban environment, they're not going to be able to relate to them, mm. and I'm not going to be able to teach. I find them impossible to relate yeah. to. I find them deeply... The other day we were out sitting around at a bar and Stu, a friend yeah. of ours, was like, I'm going to give you a poetry quiz. And he pulled up this quiz on Australian <laughs> bush poetry. Yeah. But my failed. grandmother loves that stuff. <laughs> I failed it completely. And, and it's not, I have read a few yeah. bush ballads and I know some very great poets who are intimately familiar with them. So I think I don't, I think it's important, but it's probably more important if you're going to be a poet yeah. It's probably less important just to have an appreciation of poetry because it's such a, like, it's a slice of wide Australia. Yeah. You know. And a particular and like, time. But, yeah. like, I don't know, I'm still very torn because I I do believe that, um, you know, there is something very powerful about knowing about or having a, a wider understanding of Australian identity. And so I would try to – my compromise was um, there's this great book called um, – I think it's just like it's it's great Australian poems for children or something and it's Mm -hmm. an anthology put together by Libby Hawthorne who's a great writer and it's got they're all Australian poets and they're about Australian things but they're not about you know droving cattle and mustering and really kind of specific things they're more about using the gum tree to kind of explore you know a sense of freedom so they're quite they were quite abstract actually and they had a lot of um, literary techniques in there that I found quite rich for the kids to explore but Mm. they weren't so isolating and be like I don't know what this word I don't know what this word is I don't know what this word is Mm. Mm. Um, and I'd have to kind of explain every like bloody word in you know Mm. the man from snowy river yeah Um, and I think that's where like that exact experience of sitting in front of a text and um, not only feeling completely divorced from the content and the experience that's being talked about, but the vocabulary is what has turned so many people like mm. my age and mm. possibly younger and possibly older just like, I don't get poetry. I don't get it. I did it in mm. high school. I hated it. I've never looked at it again. I meet so many people like that. Yeah, it's funny because when you, when you were talking about it and you said that that's what some people even that were listening kind of had, had expressed, just think it's fascinating because I, um, I introduced 
I've been working on the scoping sequence for the five sixes at my current school and it's um it just needed revamping and, and we, we've you know I have I have a belief that poetry should be taught explicitly from a really early age um because well, a number of reasons one it's it's like a really true pure writing form like rather than um what we do traditionally as teachers is we'll do a recount which is like okay what did you do in the holidays you know and, and it's got a really specific structure and we focus on structure a lot and like okay well now we're going to do a persuasive piece and this is how you write a persuasive piece but the great thing about a poem is you can't you can't say this is how you write a poem yes you can say this is one style of poetry um which a lot of teachers I think fall into that trap and say well we're going to just learn haikus and this is everybody has to do a haiku and this is how you do it and when kids are young they need they need that structure you know but um I introduced it to my five sixes recently and my five six teachers I've got a team of 12 and they were very reluctant and very confused and very like we've never why why are we teaching poetry like it's not in the curriculum and I was like there's nothing in the curriculum that says you have to teach persuasive writing that you have to teach poetry that you have mm. to teach narrative like it's the skills and the text type is kind of up to you to explore uh-huh. but as as the curriculum moves up it obviously gets more demanding around figurative language um and emotive um vocabulary mm. poetry is such a great format to explore those options yeah. you know because you can't get that into a well you can but you know if every year they're just going to write a persuasive piece that eventually becomes a persuasive essay that they write up in year 10 yeah again it's still a really kind of it's it's completely different from the creative side you know Mm. to be persuasive is a lot more about the format and the structure and the specific techniques that um you would need to convince someone but poetry just kind of opens up all these doors so short of the long and the long of short they're planning the unit Mm. but they're really bamboozled by how to do it so yeah because they're probably the same people who would have had that here's the man from snowy river totally like one of the girls um she's fabulous one of the graduates said something i just went in there the other day and we're talking about poetry and they know i'm very passionate about it and in the end i get to make the decision you guys have to do poetry (laughs) sorry so it's a bit evil but um she's like i just hate it it's just so boring and she picked up a a piece of poetry and it was it was like the drover's wife or something mm. and i said well that's you know that's going to be really challenging for your children yeah um also because our kids um they're not quite at a five six level they're um maybe at a three four level anyway with their vocab and and, and things like that so oh god yeah. very challenging and it's very contextual and i said you know that's one type of poem you know, you have to start thinking outside the box. And I, I mentioned for teachers, again, not to bang on about the lyrics because songs, particularly modern songs, are not great representations of poetry. But Oh, come on. Taylor Swift. <laughs> shake it off, shake it off. Um, there's repetition. There's that repetition. is a, That is a technique. Um, but I said, you know, maybe think about um, great songs that you like or something. And then she was like, oh, yeah, I didn't think that. But again, it's opening their minds to, I think, mm. you know. They're having to go through the same process. Yeah. Yeah. So, but there's a way, I guess, to teach poetry that I've been taught. And it was by a literacy coach in the Western region who was fabulous, is fabulous. And it's, again, 
move away from the structure of poetry. Yes, in this unit, they are going to expose them to haikus. They are going to expose them to rhyming couplets. They are mm. going to expose them to free verse. So yeah. this, they still need that safety blanket, which is totally fine because it's the first time they've ever done it. Um, and for our kids, they might need that safety blanket too because yeah. they've never been exposed to poetry. But they talk a lot. That This guy taught me that there's three essential pillars of every great poem, and that's rhythm, emotion, and imagery. And within each of those pillars, there are all the poetic techniques. Mm, I need to write this down. Yeah. <laughs> you need to, I, would you like me to help you be a poet, Alice? I, I would. I would. <laughs> um, but when you, because when you've got to break it down for a child, um, they need things to cling to. So it's like your poem needs to have those three pillars. Mm. That doesn't mean it, ha- like, you know, um, rhythm can mean rhyme. It doesn't have to mean right. It can also mean repetition. could also mean alliteration. could also mean space and how pause is used to create a beat. I'm learning so much right now. <laughs> Shut up. No, no. So um, we try to break it down like that. And then emotion, well, you know, um, how do we build emotion? Um, well, we choose something that we're passionate about. So we talk a lot about any writer is writing for a purpose. And it's not to give to the teacher so the teacher can mark it. You know, we try to – something, you know, we, we probably should be advocating even more is that we don't just get them to write it and then put it in their books or put it in their portfolio to show their parents. Like, it goes somewhere. So we would often send it to – there's a great um, Dorothy McKellar poetry competition. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so we would, we would send them all out. And, mm. like, we didn't – they didn't win or anything. We got a highly commended once, um, which was awesome because this kid was an EAL student English as an additional language it was amazing and it was all about the floor and how the floor is trodden on the whole time and we never think about the floor and it was it was really that is cool like it was really cool but his vocab was very simple but his ideas were really like powerful wow um so we talk about emotion and then we talk about um how to how to build emotion and it might be build suspense or make someone feel sad blah 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 and then obviously our figurative language is where we talk about all the kind of traditional poetic techniques if you like like the metaphors and the similes and stuff like that so we break it down and we try to find them in poems and we also give them examples of really crap poems or i mean that's that's a bit controversial because someone's version might be like it's a really good poem but ones that maybe are really simplistic Mm. and maybe you know some of the that's a good way to distinguish between yeah, it's a really great song, but is it a great poem? That's interesting. What do you use for those examples? Um, it's hard because um, I've got really strong views about what's crap. So you have to be, <laughs> well, you have it to would be, be bad if you didn't. Like, <laughs> but I think it's more about giving them two samples of of okay. anything. Okay, right. And then letting, as long as they can justify, because in the yeah. end, it's not my version of. Well, it's rubbish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's as long as you can justify it. Mm. And, of course, I'll, I'll try to steer them and I'll give them some really bum examples. Like mm. I can't even think what I've used before, but just maybe some really dodgy songs that, mm. um, you know, that I don't even remember what they're called, but my kids used to be except of, obsessed with it. The, it's Friday, it's Friday. Oh, get, you know, like Black. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like those kind of ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then put it up against something that's um, maybe a more – a better song or actually just a really beautiful piece of poetry yeah yeah 
and they start to we call them exemplars and non-exemplars and they as long as they can justify it and it's fun because the cheeky kids in the class that are disengaged will try to prove that that yeah. song is better than the other but one they're still using the concept absolutely and they've yeah. got to say well there is an example of a metaphor in there like yeah. i think Katy perry we used um firework which oh. is not terrible but when as they got more sophisticated they were like even though it does have metaphors like yeah. you're a firework uh-huh. you know <laughs> it's surprising what you can find yeah, yeah. they were like but it doesn't have the emotion or it, it doesn't um you know they were able to break those pillars apart and say but it's got less examples than this one and that's mm-hmm. why this one's a more effective poem yeah right um that's awesome yeah so how different is what you're describing? It sounds like the teaching methods and the strategies that you're describing are really mind-blowing, like really exciting to hear about. Is this representative? Is it just because you're a passionate poetry reader and teacher? Um, um, I would say, I mean, it's hard to say because I've only worked at a couple of schools and at the first school we were really... Um, lucky to be um, had a lot of government funding around school improvement so we had a literacy coach who was exceptional and we you know were exposed to just like using drama in class so we'd buy these silk scarves and we'd have all the kids throwing them up and then they'd write a a poem about the sound of the silk scarf you know uh, linking a lot of language experience to poetry Mm. Um, so I kind of saw like the best well what I believe is like the best version of teaching and then taking that into a very different context now further away from the city you know massive school significant refugee population significant um islander population that you know all of our communities um that present with different challenges so i it's very new for the teachers that i'm working with okay but that doesn't necessarily mean that the school down the road doesn't have an amazing kind of poetry program but I guess erring on the side of caution I'd say it's probably not representative Mm. um but I'm sure some schools do like phenomenal jobs as Mm. well but uh, what you were describing with the curriculum there is that um there's kind of guidelines but there's nobody saying in year five every student will memorize the first 10 stanzas of no no definitely not that I mean like looking at um I've printed off level four which is like a grade four by the end of grade four they should have achieved these Mm -hmm. and then I've got a grade seven and a grade ten um and the good thing about the curriculum now the Victorian curriculum anyway is it's broken up into kind of subcategories so you've you've got reading and viewing writing and speaking and listening because within English they're they're the kind of the three core elements but even within that they've gone deeper so they've got language um, and then how to express and develop ideas grammar sentence and clause level grammar but then they've got a literature section so how do you examine literature um, and how do you respond to literature and then they've got literacy so how do you interpret and analyze and evaluate the effectiveness of text mm. so there's nothing i mean the good thing about the the curriculum is that it is quite it is a guide mm. but then if you don't know that much about poetry or if you don't even know that much about language acquisition and how to develop writing which you know i only did 2 years at uni mm. that's like we don't you don't get taught a lot in that time 
And I think there is something to be said for our university courses and they spend a lot of time on like, here's how to read aloud to kids, like in primary school and stuff like that. And you just think, I wish I learnt how to engage kids or I wish I learnt how to um, run and like set up an effective lesson and the sequence of learning and brain development and how, you know, there's so many other things that are much more fundamental to being a successful teacher than knowing how to read aloud to kids. Mm -hmm. You know, you can learn that skill, you can practice that skill. Yeah. But there's nothing in here that kind of dictates um, in a negative way, yes, you must learn this, but also the flip side of that is, Poetry could potentially not be explored for... for an, basically yeah. for an entire... Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm, I think probably once you get up to... I think once you get up to the, the higher levels. Yeah. Um, and look, teachers are really good at interpreting this. And if it, you know, if it does say stuff like... Um, where was I looking before? Creating literary texts that explore students' own experiences and imagination. Okay. That's really open. Yeah. But I wonder how many teachers would straight away go to poetry because mm. it is the great unknown and mm. it is um, – there's not one way to do it, mm. um, which no can be right quite yeah. nerve-wracking, whereas when you go to teach a narrative, there's a very definitive structure and there's a lot of resources out there about how to teach narrative. Mm. There's there's not that many on poetry um, I found some really great ones in my time and I've left them all at school with my colleagues at the moment to kind of go, look, but, but they're not like, Oh, I could pick this up and give it to a kid. They're not like a black line master. That's like, here's how you write a poem. They're mm. more like, here are some prompts. Mm, mm. Um, you know, what's lighter than a feather have students respond in a free verse, you know, something <laughs> like that. I'm like panicking. Like, um, so I don't know how receptive they'll be to those resources because they're quite um, they're quite op- open and teachers are exceptionally busy people and yeah. don't particularly when you're learning to teach you don't get to go home and th- contemplate. Oh, mm. I wonder how poetry could fit in and mm. I think in an ideal world you do but you've got loads of marking and you've had a really awful day and that kid ran out of your classroom and now you've got to call their parent and you know there's so many other busy things that kind of distract you from the the really rich stuff which is probably why you started teaching (laughs) Mm. well I'm really glad that that these kids in particular have somebody advocating for poetry and sounds like they're getting a lot out of it hopefully Yeah. yeah I think so and and look the quality of what they're able to produce is it, it's beautiful and um, they I think this term uh, this, this year we're going to try to we weren't able to do it last year um, but we're going to try to do a poetry reading evening um, oh wow which I've done in the past in a different community it worked beautifully where we had like you know tea and scones and you know we made it like quite special yeah, and lovely. all that but I don't know how I don't know how it'll go in our community so we might need to make it more of like a poetry slam and yeah. have it funked up a bit That'd but be cool. yeah. again the skill and we were talking about this earlier with like you working on the skill of reading poems out loud mm. I mean that's another English skill I've still got to teach them speaking and listening and I've still got a mark against that so I can't just indulge over here like I have to mark against everything else as well, so I've got to, like, combine it all. Yeah, right. Mm. Oh, there's a lot of work to do. Yeah, but it should be fun. Yeah, that's very, very cool. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot before we finish. Mm -hmm. 
what uh what's like your favorite poem what poem do you what poems do you enjoy I am like I'm a sucker for um, anything that's historically kind of connected. So I read, I guess what I like to expose the kids to or what I find I do is um, poetry about um, that's got like um, social justice kind of commentary in it or about the civil rights movement or something like that. So um, I'm a little bit dark like that and I will or a lot of... um, I don't want to depress the kids, but they have actually said they're like, geez, this is really depressing. Like, sorry. <laughs> sorry, but the civil rights movement yeah. wasn't also yeah, kind of that's right. So um, I know where the cage bird sings. Obviously I've mentioned that a few times. I find that a really, I personally, it resonates a lot with, with me about mm-hmm. my interest in that kind of period of history. But as a teaching tool, I think it's incredibly effective um, because particularly even in our the most recent developments that we've had with the bit of a swing to the right and a lot of um just a slight one well yeah unfortunately Mm. um kids are really wanting to talk about it and a lot of our kids are very multicultural and and have had experiences of racism and have had to flee their communities so the the whole concept of the cage and the bird and wanting to be free and uh, you know that they this it's it's quite rich um, and, and a lot of, like, um, war poetry, I, I can't recall um, specific people now, but particularly when I was um, studying history and international relations, a lot of um, poets that would go and work in World War One and World War Two, and um, talked particularly about young people and their, you know, their struggles um, in being in the military. I don't know, it makes me sound really creepy and depressing. Um, no, but... <laughs> You're talking to the right audience. It's okay. It's, it's all right. Just, yeah, anything melancholy, basically. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know why the cage bird sings. As in, I don't know that poem. Yeah. Would you read it for me? Yes. If I bring it up? Yes. Okay, cool. I was like, oh, God, I hope you don't ask me to read it out, like, from the top of my head. No. Uh, I'll cut this bit out. Obviously. Oh, my Angelou. Yeah. yeah. See, okay. I'm sure you will have heard it before. Every day is a school day. And that is a great website, the Poetry Foundation. I use that a lot. It is good. I'll scroll for you. Cool. Um, the Cage Bird by Maya Angelou. A free bird leaps on the back of the wind and floats downstream till the current ends and dips his wing in the orange sun rays and dares to claim the sky. But a bird that stalks down his narrow cage can seldom see through his bars of rage. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The cage bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still, and his tune is heard on the distant hill for the cage bird sings of freedom. The free bird thinks of another breeze and the trade wind soughs through the sighing trees and the fat worms waiting on a dawn bright lawn, and he names the sky his own. But a cage bird stands on the grave of dreams, his shadow shouts on a nightmare scream. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The cage bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still, and his tune is heard on a distant hill, for the cage bird sings of freedom. 
Beautiful. It's an awesome poem. And like, you know, they love the line, but a cage bird stands on the grave of dreams. And they're like, well, what, what could the grave of dreams actually mean? And mm. is it a literal nightmare or are we talking figurative? And, mm. you know, it's, um, they, and they all recognize, um, so I used like a snippet of, um, 12 Years a Slave. I'm not allowed to show that film and it wouldn't be appropriate oh, to I'm show I'm so it. glad. No. <laughs> and I can't even finish that film because it's just too distressing. It's full on. But I used the, um, just the trailer because oh, it's kind right. of just yeah. got a couple of scenes. Yeah. And then that really helps the visualising. So when it says, and his feet are tied, I'm like, well, if the cage, we, we start to learn that the cage bird represents a slave. Mm-hmm. And so like we talk about um, figuratively tied, meaning that, belongs to someone else but also literally because in the clip he wakes up in chains and they start to make a lot of connections and the visualizing starts to happen for them Mm. and then we talk a lot about song um because even in the trailer thank goodness i was like i was so glad when i found the trailer i was like yes it hits everything um you know the slaves to connect to each other and to pass the time and to pass the misery would sing and a lot of that gospel music so um they would talk about the bird singing could be like when the slaves were singing the gospel songs to get through the day and stuff so it's just very juicy it's very beautiful yeah got chills hmm oh lovely well thank you so much for telling me telling all of us what it's like to be a teacher yeah i hope i've represented us well i think so (laughs) absolutely no question and i like um kind of Think it's important like i've done with you you know if we start talking to people that are specialists in their field and are you know i i know how to communicate the things to the kids and to get them exploring it but um i don't know everything about poetry and i don't pretend to so it's so important that we kind of share ideas and um we have you know like you have done before you actually come in and speak to kids and we we just show particularly around poetry that like poets are just they're not like normal people and and you're quite young and you can be a poet and you know um particularly in a community like mine where there's not a lot of understanding or appreciation of occupations outside a certain field Mm. it's beautiful to expose them to um you know like oh my sister-in-law's a poet what you're like yeah they exist you know and <laughs> kind of opens their mind particularly those really young writers that are really passionate and excited about writing and are creative mm. but you know will be probably reinforced that you know well these are the kind of professions that from a family point of view we'd like you to engage in yeah um so yeah absolutely you need to see that um this person is alive they can yes. they can eat yes they can pay their bills and and also like from yeah. a technology point of view you know the kids you know i remember at the beginning of the year i'd asked them to um, we were creating a big puzzle and you know it's really corny but everybody is part of the puzzle and then the you know every piece is important blah 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 so on their puzzle piece they had to say a few things about themselves and one of them was what their dream occupation would be and I was really surprised how many of them put down like you professional youtuber and I that just shows how out of touch I am because like of course that would be a really like exciting job for you but even in my mind I was like what do you do but it'd be kind of cool to show them that, you know, like, oh, well, poets or um, scientists or YouTubers can have 
you know, podcasts and you can actually kind of um, be creative and you can even earn money eventually doing those kind of things. Maybe not just doing stupid tricks. Yeah, for YouTube. <laughs> yeah, for YouTube. That's, I mean, they are 13-year-old boys. Like, I can't expect too much. <laughs> yeah. I feel like being a professional YouTuber, like if you're successful, is really freaking stressful. Yeah. Like you've got to deal with all kinds of stuff. I don't even know how they get successful. I'm like, who has time to watch this much YouTube? <laughs> 13 year old boys. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. like, you know, kids, I guess. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, it just shows I'm a little bit out of touch. <laughs> uh, I think so. Awesome. Thanks, Terry. Thanks. Look at the situation, they got me facing. I can't live a normal life. I was raised by the state, so I gotta be down with the hood team. Too much television watching got me chasing dreams. I'm an educated fool with money on my mind. Got my tin in my hand and a gleam in my eye. I'm a low out gangster, set tripping banker. And my homies is down, so don't arouse my anger. Fool, death ain't nothing but a heartbeat away. I'm living life, do or die. What can I say? I'm 23 now, but will I live to see 24 the way things is going? I don't know. Tell me why.